You know, there are a lot of different animals that have been pets over the years in American homes. Um, even little squirrel monkeys were popular for a while, these cute, adorable little monkeys. Uh, some of you may remember in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in the back of uh, Mad Magazine or Boy's Life Magazine uh, or in cart or comic books, there was an ad uh, for squirrel monkeys, these cute little monkeys. Uh, a darling pet monkey, $18.95, the ad would say. And I liked some of the, the things the ad said. Almost human with its warm eyes. Your family will love it. Eats same food as you. Even likes lollipops. Live delivery guaranteed. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a sad thing? You order a monkey and it comes in and you open the box and it's dead. Matter of fact, they say that about 50% of families who ordered through that Kids and, and families thought they were actually getting a stuffed monkey and were shocked when they opened the box and it was really a live monkey. Now, most of that's been banned because they became, they're dangerous to have in families and also it was cruel to the animal to put them in those kind of settings. Um, but uh, certain localities even allowed pet stores and department stores to, to uh, sell squirrel monkeys uh, in the United States. As a matter of fact, when Troy and I were young in the early 1970s, uh, my brother and I uh, saw our Kmart actually sold squirrel monkeys. And you could buy a squirrel monkey at Kmart, and so we thought this would be just wonderful for our family, and so we asked Dad, could we have a squirrel monkey? Now, if you've read my memoir, All But Normal, about kind of the craziness of my childhood, you can imagine what would happen if we would have added a monkey to that. <laughs> so Dad, of course, said no to the squirrel monkey. And uh, we tried to convince him over and over again. It was a very firm no. Maybe you remember as a kid being disappointed because your parents said no about something. Maybe even when it comes to your relationship with your heavenly father, there's been a no in your life. Maybe it's been a delayed no that it would come later. Maybe there's something you've poured your heart out before God, praying and crying and just asking God for something that would be good for your life for that loved one who's battling cancer to be healed. Maybe you prayed and prayed and it seemed God closed the door because the cancer was never healed and they stepped into the presence of Jesus. Maybe you've been longing and asking God for a spouse. Maybe you've been, as a couple, a young couple, you've been asking God for a child and you've been grappling with infertility issues and it's a good thing to ask for a child and yet, God has been saying no. For some of you, the no's have been around your finances or a job or maybe a family situation with your children or grandchildren where you've been for weeks or months or years, maybe decades, asking God for something specific that you believe would be good for you, your family, or your friends. Maybe the, the no has come and it seemed like it's a delay, but for some of you, the no has even been a closed door that you just sense is really closed. What do we do when God says no? Today we're going to jump back into the life of David if you want to turn to 1 Chronicles 17. 1 Chronicles 17. Go there in your hard copy of the Bible or you can go to a mobile app like I'm using on my iPad. We're going to talk about when God says no again in the life of David. King David is a place of great success. After a period of civil war within the nation, he united the nation, he had peace within this is a 1,000 years before Jesus was ever here walking among us. David gets all 12 tribes together, secures peace inside. He secures the city, the Jebusite city that he renamed Jerusalem, the place of peace, 
that had been out of the grasp of God's people for hundreds of years. He makes that the center of, of their focus. This is a period when we get to 1 Chronicles 17 and the parallel passage in 2 Samuel 7, when we get to these passages in this time in David's life, he's in the golden era. This is the Camelot of David's reign. The people are only worshiping Jehovah God. There's no indication they have idols. The economy is thriving. He's got peace within. He's made peace with his neighbors by establishing they're a strong, healthy, vibrant nation. Don't mess with us. And so things are going great for him. And yet God is going to say no to him about something that was very important to David, near and dear to his heart, it seemed like such a good thing. We're going to learn from how David responds to God's no, how do we respond when God says no to us? And as we do that, I want you to understand a couple of things here. First of all, when God says no to something, he doesn't say no to everything. And yet we can get our hearts and our minds so wrapped around the thing that God said no to, we miss all the things God is saying yes to. Look for the yes that emerges out of the no. In the no that comes from God to David, there is a clear yes that emerges. And David seizes that and focuses on that. Max Lucado says, God's no is not a rejection, it's a redirection. If you're there in 1 Chronicles 17, I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in whatever version you have in front of you or follow along in the words on the screen. But again, this is at this high point. David has brought the Ark of the Covenant that represented the intimate express presence of God after being out of the center of God's people for over 100 years, he brings it into Jerusalem, this new capital city, builds a tent for it to protect it. And then we read in verse one of First Chronicles 17, when David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Nathan and he were pretty good friends. Nathan will pop up a couple more times in David's life. He also has to confront him in his sin. But at this point, he's just talking to Nathan the prophet, his friend. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace. I have a great palace, a, a solid building. But the ark of the Lord's covenant is out there under a tent. I have a permanent place to live and the express presence of God through the, the reminder of this ark of the covenant, it, it, it's in a tent. And he implies, we gotta do something about this. Well, Nathan thinks this is a great idea, David. You've got the financial resources, the, the nation is focused together, our eyes are on Jehovah God, we've got everything together, this makes sense. And so Nathan replied to David, do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you, good idea. Build him a temple, a permanent place for the dwelling of God and for God's people. It'll be a testimony to all the nations that Jehovah God is the one true God, the people of Israel, God's chosen people. Verse three, but that same night, that same night, God said to Nathan in a vision, in a dream, what did he say? Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. No. Now this wasn't a bad thing, this is a good thing from David's heart. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. My home has always been a tent moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? This is not a high priority with me. I'm fine with this. 
Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people. He replaced Saul, who turned his heart and his back to God. He said, David has his heart aimed at my heart. Even in his mistakes and failures, we learn from the man whose heart was aimed at the Lord's heart. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. Now we have to understand this. It, the, the, the fact that we know who David is in our secular culture because of his defeating Goliath is beyond just a great historical story. God has permanently kept the name, name of David at the forefront of the world. See, what we have here is what's called the Davidic Covenant. It's an unconditional covenant God makes, from his perspective, unconditional in his relationship with David and God's people, Israel, and ultimately in all of his people. Basically, he is gonna promise David here, you're not gonna build for me a physical house, David, but I am going to take your lineage, your household, and I'm gonna make your son your successor, and he'll build my house, and he will be great, and his kingdom will be passed on to the next person, and eventually this kingdom will be forever. As a matter of fact, Jesus, humanly, is a descendant of David and is referred to as the son of David over and over again in the Gospels. And even in prophecy, we're told that Jesus will sit on the throne of David when he makes his kingdom, establishes the eternal kingdom forever. And so this is a promise God gives to David that's very special. You're gonna have a legacy that's gonna last because of your heart for me and how you have organized my people and helped point the people's hearts toward me. Verse nine, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they have done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will defeat all your enemies. A lot of this is yet to come in, in Israel's history. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings, a legacy, not a physical house, but a legacy for when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me. Now, this is before Solomon is born. God is saying, the one I raise up to be your successor, he will build a house for me. We learn later that part of the reason God says David can't is because David has shed too much blood. But Solomon will, and I will secure his throne forever, again, through the eternal kingdom of Christ. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you, Saul. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time and his throne will be secure forever. You can't build my house, but I'm gonna establish a legacy that'll last into eternity through an eternal kingdom. It's the Davidic covenant promise God makes to David and the people of Israel and ultimately to all of God's people. Verse 15, so Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. So Nathan tells David everything. Let's look at David's response to no, you won't build my house. Verse 16, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, for who am I, O Lord God? What is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O oh God, in addition to everything else you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty, you speak as though I were someone very great, O oh Lord God. What more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. For the sake of your servant, O oh Lord, according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. 
Oh Lord, there is no one like you. You have never even heard, we have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and stood in their way. You chose Israel to be your very own people forever and you, oh Lord, became their God. And now, Lord, I'm your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever. And may your name be established and honored forever so that everyone will say, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. Oh my God, I have been bold enough to pray to you because you have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O Lord, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now it has pleased you to bless the house of your servant so that it will continue forever before you. For when you grant a blessing, O Lord, it is an eternal blessing. You see David's response to God saying, no, you're not gonna build the temple? Your son will do that. David responds and he focuses on the yes, not the no. We tend to focus on the no God gives us. We don't focus on the yeses in our lives. And I want us, as we think about 1 Chronicles 17 and even the parallel passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want us to think about this. As you process the pain and frustration of the no, when you cry out to God and he says no, Ask God to focus your hope and your heart on the yes. Ask God to shift your focus. And we see David's focus shift from the no to the yes. From the disappointment he faces to what God has for him in a blessing. Let's talk about how we shift our focus when God says no. I don't know what it is maybe that God has said no to you about. Maybe you've shed some tears over it. Maybe it's been a heartache you've carried for months or weeks or decades. I don't know. But how do you shift your focus from the no and the disappointment of the no to the yes and for what God has for you? Number one, shift your focus from wallowing in a disgruntled spirit to cultivating a grateful heart. Wallowing, I think, is an Indiana term. For me as a Hoosier, I think it refers to pigs wallowing in the mud. Some might say wallowing. It's the idea you just dwell in this place of disgruntledness. And when God says no, it's easy to not only be disappointed, to be disgruntled, to be ungrateful. And you would think David could respond in some way with, with a disgruntled spirit. But look what he says in verse 16 in his response to God's no. Who am I, Lord, and what is my family that you brought me this far? I don't deserve what you've already given me and you've brought me to this place. Thank you for bringing me here, even as I hear your no. Thank you for bringing me to this spot. We have to cultivate intentionally a grateful heart when it's easy to get frustrated, disgruntled, angry, impatient. You just saw the camp video and I was hoping to go up Friday evening. So I went up uh, Friday evening to the San Bernardino Mountains to be there for the final worship service with the students. And I left late Friday afternoon, got in the car and put my Google Maps on and I left the house, it said two hours and 15 minutes. I went a few miles, it said two hours and 30 minutes. I went a few more miles, it said two hours and 45 minutes. And I kept going and it kept getting longer and the red kept getting longer on the map. And I was starting to get pretty disgruntled and unhappy. <laughs> I lacked any grateful spirit and was really wrestling with this before the Lord. And I 
Finally, as I'm in this stop-and-go traffic on the freeway, and it's just getting longer and longer and longer, and I'd given myself like four or five hours to get there, and so I thought, okay, I've got time. What am I getting upset about? All right, I'm gonna calm down here. I said, Lord, no matter what happens, I, I trust you in this. And oh, I, I, I remember in June, I shared with you about the car I almost got. You remember that? If you don't, I'll just give you the quick summary. I've been looking for over a year to replace one of my cars. Uh, and the car I was replacing, I knew its resale value was going down, needed, was gonna need some repairs soon. And so I had a guy at a dealership looking for cars and he called me one day and he said, no, this isn't exactly what you're looking for, but I got a Lexus, a 2011 Lexus hardtop with 3,719 miles on it. It doesn't have a scratch. It's perfect on the inside and the out. And, and he said, I think you really enjoy this. From the, in, from the outside, this car looks nice. It looks great. From the inside, it looks great. I, I test drove it. I thought, this is unbelievable. This is less money than I wanted to pay for a car. And this is a hard top convertible Lexus. I've never owned a Lexus. I kept thinking, what are people going to think of me? They're going to judge me. <laughs> And we got down to where I was going to give him the check. He went in the back to get some final paperwork. And he comes back. He said, I got bad news. The manager walked in. This car is already sold. And I had been waiting, looking for a car for about a year. Turned a bunch of them down that didn't seem to write or weren't the right price. And so two weeks ago, he called me again. He said, I got a car. Again, it's not what you're looking for. It's a different kind of car. It's a convertible it's a 2016, not a 12-year-old. That was a 2011. That, that other Lexus was 12 years old. He said, this is 2016. It's a seven-year-old car. It has 6,072 miles on it. Not a scratch, not a dent. It's not the same as that one, but boy, it's a nice car. You might want to come look at it. And I, I looked at some things online, and I went down and looked at it. I thought, I don't think I'm going to get this. It's a beautiful car. You can see it here. Not a scratch, not a dent. Sports car, Miata. And I thought, well, this will hurt my back or whatever. I, but I test drove it and it didn't hurt my back. It actually felt really good. So I, it was better priced than the other one was and better than I was looking for. So, uh, and it was manual. I, I learned on a stick and this had a stick, a two-seater. We don't have any kids, so that's great. Uh, Leslie can't drive a stick, so that's even better. Um, <laughs> So um, price was right, gave me a good value in the turning of my, car, my other car. So I bought that car uh, two weeks ago tomorrow. And I decided that's what I would take up to the, yeah. I decided that's what I'll take up to the mountains. And so as I'm sitting in that traffic and things are getting slower, little cars getting a little warmer because the air conditioning wasn't able to handle some of the heat that was coming. And I'm, I just finally say to the Lord, okay, I'm not going to be disgruntled in this drive. I'm just gonna, no matter what, I'm gonna be grateful to you. I'm not gonna be disgruntled. And a minute later, this happened. <laughs> it was late Friday afternoon. And uh, five cars, not my fault, I didn't cause the accident, uh, able to drive it over to the side of the road. And uh, nobody was hurt. I have a little bit of a stiffness in my back, a little soreness in my neck, but it's getting better every hour, every day. It's been two days now. Um, and I just sat there going, I just <laughs> got this car. First thing I said to the chips officer, I've had this car 10 days. <laughs> I had to scrape the sticker off the inside of the windshield, and those things are on there pretty hard to give me my registration information. And then Leslie came, and the tow truck came, and I, I got in the car, and we're driving back, and I started to laugh, and Leslie asked me why I was laughing. I said, just minutes before this, I said, no matter what happens in this trip, no matter how long it takes, no matter what happens, I'm going to be grateful and not disgruntled. 
God, God seems to bring these things into my life to teach me and to grow me before I ever get to the pulpit. Again, I'm okay, everybody was okay in the accident, this is a thing, this is just an object in life, and, and yet I had to wrestle with that after, as we were driving back and laughing out loud, like, I, I gotta be grateful in the midst of this. Now, a car is an object and it's pretty minor compared to what some of you have dealt with when it comes to wrestling between a disgruntled spirit and a grateful heart, but we have to intentionally cultivate a heart of gratitude or it doesn't happen. In the New Testament, we're told to give thanks for everything Everything. Well, I was on the side of the road waiting for the tow truck and Leslie, I opened my iPhone and one of the last things I had on there was my outline and it, the phone opened to uh, a quote that I was gonna use at this point in the message by Rick Warren. It says, in happy moments, praise God. In difficult moments, seek God. In quiet moments, worship God. In painful moments, trust God. Every moment, thank God. So I read while I was on the side of the road as I glanced at my phone and this was, outline was there. And I said, doggone you, Rick Warren. In every moment, that's what the scriptures tell us. You know what David does in the no, he doesn't, he purposely says, thank you for bringing me this far. Even in the no, I am grateful for where you've brought me. If you wanna shift your focus to the yes, you have to shift your focus from allowing, wallowing in a disgruntled spirit to cultivating a grateful heart. Secondly, you have to shift your focus from feeling painfully rejected by God to knowing you are permanently loved by him. I know for some of you, as you prayed over a loved one that you didn't want to see them die and they stepped into eternity, that, that, that hurt. For some of you, you've been asking for a child and God hasn't given you a child and, and that hurts. And, and in that moment, Satan wants us to think that in that rejection, as he would want us to believe it is, from God, that somehow we've been cut off from God's love. David says, and as if that were not enough, verse 17, you, Lord God, have looked on me as though I was the most exalted of men. You have put me at the center of your focus. I am an object of your love. We have to shift from the idea that God has personally rejected us to remember he permanently loves us. Someone has said God loves you more in a moment than anyone can in a lifetime. We understand that when Christ died on the cross. We were still guilty of our sins. We hadn't done anything to clean ourselves up, the book of Romans says. As Jesus was suffering for the penalty of our sin on the cross of Calvary, he was doing that in love. And he had me in mind, he had you in mind. You were at the focus of his mind as he was suffering the agony of, of the guilt and weight and penalty of your sin and mine. He had you in the focus of his heart and in his love as he was buried, as he was raised from the dead to conquer the grave and hell for you. He had you in mind. You were at the focus of his love. And he offers every one of us the love gift of a relationship with himself and his father through what he did for us. And if you haven't yet received that love gift, I want you to know God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. That's why Jesus came. I'm not gonna be in the lobby, the main lobby after the service. I'm gonna be over greeting those who are gonna be attending the Welcome to Calvary reception. Pastor Steve Day will be there where I normally am. Go out and speak to Pastor Steve or come down front. Our care team members are down front after the service and they'd love to have a conversation with you about what it means to receive God's love gift of salvation, of a relationship with God now and forever. Through Jesus, God loves you. 
Perhaps you want to jumpstart that conversation, get it going now. You can do that by texting the name Jesus to the number 58568, the number below me on the screen. You can just, where you are at home, watching online, here in the room, just put Jesus in the body of the text and send it to 58568 and we'll begin to have that conversation about what it means to receive God's love gift of salvation. And child of God, there's nothing that can take you out of the focus of God's love. Nothing. The hymn writer Annie Johnson Flint wrote this, his love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. There's a passage you've heard me read because I committed a long time ago to read it at least three to five times a year on weekends and services because I meet people who believe when God says no to them or something doesn't go the way they wanted or the way they prayed, they believe somehow they've been cut off from God's love. And, and I, I, I've just seen people suffer from this and be gripped by this. And it, it destroys not only their relationship with God, but often their relationship with others when they think they've been cut off from God's love. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus through the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. Romans 8, 35 to 39, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can I suggest to you that if you've experienced a no from God, maybe it feels like a permanent no, the door is closed, or maybe you feel like even it's a delay or and you feel like God's cut you off from his love that you read Romans 8, 35 to 39 each day this week, be reminded that you're at the center of God's love even when he says no, even when he says no. You gotta shift your focus from the good thing you requested to the greater thing God has planned. Nathan even says to David, this is a good idea, you just go ahead and do it. God has to wake Nathan up in the middle of the night and say, what are you doing talking for me? Tell David no. David had secured the borders. There's peace within. They're all focused on Jehovah God. They got the Ark of the Covenant. What better time and place? He's got the finances. He's got the resources. This is a good thing. But sometimes God says no to good things because he has something greater he is working in his eternal plan. David said in verse 19, for the sake of your servant, according to your will, you've done this great thing and made known all these great promises. We know that the scriptures say all things work together for good. By the way, that doesn't mean I'm gonna get a better car tomorrow. It might mean, it might mean that he's just trying to grow my gratitude. That's a good thing he could be working in my life. We misunderstand his promises. He's weaving a tapestry that looks beautiful from his perspective, but underneath we see all the knots and threads. You may be requesting a very good thing from God, but when he says no, you've got to trust him that he has something greater he's working. 
It may even be, see for David, he's not gonna see this temple, although it's gonna be built, it's gonna be Solomon, and this whole idea that his kingdom is gonna have this forever, he's not gonna get to see any of this until he's in glory. There's some things that God has said no to you about, and you're gonna be with him, standing next to Jesus, and your great-great-grandchildren will be on planet Earth, and he's gonna say, I said no to you back there, so this would happen in your great-great-grandchild's life. And you go, oh. It was a good thing, but God had a greater thing that was working his incredible eternal purposes. That's hard for us. Fourthly, shift your focus from seeing God as the giver of what you want to embracing him as the giver of what is best. Some of us see him as a genie that grants us so many wishes, we try not to push on him too much, might run out of those wishes. You get to stop seeing God as the one who gives you what you want and embrace him as the giver who gives you what is best. Now and for the years to come and into all eternity. David says in verse 20 and 23, there is no one like you, Lord. There is no God but you. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised. You know what is best. I'm gonna trust you. That's not easy. Again, I'm, I've talked about a car. Some of you are talking about children and spouses and health and finances and things that are huge. You have to say, God, you know what is best even if I know what I want. Fifthly, you have to shift your focus from the confusion created by what God says he won't do to the courage created by what God says he will do. We get so confused, like I, I could imagine in David's part, what? Everything is perfectly ready for me to build this temple. It just makes perfect sense. I'm so confused by what you're not gonna let me do, God. This no confuses me. It, it looks so perfect from my perspective. God says, I have a yes. Focus on the yes I have for you. I want to make a, a legacy of you, even into eternity. David said in verse 25, you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. He's focused on the yes. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. I've accepted your promise, and accepting your promise gives me boldness and courage. When Joshua was about to take the people of God into the promised land, he's looking over the Jordan, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, meditate on God's word, on God's promises. Get God's word in your heart and mind, Joshua. You're gonna need it as you go into that promised land and retake what was given to Abraham. Focus on God's word, meditate on it day and night. Keep it in your, your head, your mouth, your heart. Focus on God's promises and what God says. Then he says in verse nine, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go? We hold on to what God says in his promises. The yeses that we know clearly, even when we experience the no, we hold on to the yes. We focus on that yes that God has for us, and he gives us courage then to step into the yes. Or we can be paralyzed and immobilized by the confusion created by we're asking for something so good and God has said no. Shift your focus from the confusion created by what God said he won't do to the courage created by what God says he will do when you follow his word. Sixthly, shift your focus from what you think makes God good to what God says makes him good. From what you think makes God good 
to what God says makes him good. I think some of us have a warped view of God. We see ourselves as good, perfect, right. God is the one, because he's not doing the things we want, he's the one who's broken, bad, and fallen. When in reality, we're the broken, fallen ones, he is the good and sovereign God. And we can't define what makes God good. David says, you, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. These are good things. I'm gonna focus on what you have for me, the good thing you have, because you are a good God and I'm gonna trust you. My friend Johnny Erickson Tata, who leads Johnny and Friends, just an exit away from us, international ministry to families and individuals affected by disability, this last week passed a milestone in her life. She would call it a celebration moment. Hard for me to say that, but that's what she says. Because this past week was her 56th year being a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. <laughs> I always go to Johnny when I'm trying to look for how someone could focus on the yes when God says no about some other things. And she has this quote. She says, one of the most wonderful things about knowing God is that there's always so much more to know, so much more to discover. Just when we least expect it, he intrudes into our neat and tidy notions about who he is and how he works. And we think we got God all figured out and this is what defines him as good, but if he says no, then that makes him bad? No, we need to shift our focus from what we think makes God, God good to what God says makes him good, and that's what David does in his response to the no God gives him. Seventh and finally, shift your focus from the disappointment of your heart to the empowerment of other people. This is a pattern you see in David's life. God gives him opportunities for this. Maybe you're disappointed with the no, you're discouraged. You know what you can do? You can collapse in it on yourself and just be focused about you and how everyone else is wrong or everyone else doesn't get it, everyone else just be so about you and your disappointment, your discouragement, your frustration with the no from God. David says, now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. He said, okay, I'm gonna follow your plan. Now, there's something interesting here about the house of your servant. He says, okay, my successor's gonna get to build this. You know what David does? It's interesting. He could have just said, Ugh, I'm never gonna see this thing. I'm gonna do you know what he actually does? He raises all the money to build the temple. He gets all the materials together to build the temple. He gets the plans from God to build the temple. He secures the land to build the temple. He flattens the land to build the temple. He organizes the priesthood, how they're gonna function in the temple. When Satan, or Satan, I don't know where that came in. Uh, when Solomon became king after him, when Solomon became king after him, Solomon built the temple. But David did everything he could to get beyond himself and think about others. Remember when he was in the cave of Adullam, drooling in his beard after having acted crazy in the presence of his enemies when he was on the run from King Saul? He's in the cave for three to six months and God brings him all the losers of Israel? And he becomes the captain over that? Why was God doing that? To get him beyond himself and his disappointment and discouragement and to focus on others. There's something so healthy about when God says no to us that we look for how we minister to other people and not let the disappointment shut us down from our relationships and reaching out to people and serving them. 
There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. If God has said no to you, maybe your focus has been so much on the no that you haven't noticed the yeses. This week, look for a neighbor to help. Find a way to serve in the church. Do something to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. Reach out beyond yourself and do something for someone else to help them. That will help you process and shift your mind from the no that can be painful and frustrating to the yes that can bring hope to your heart and peace and joy to your heart. Even as you receive the no, you focus on how that yes can spill over into other people and what it means to set them up to succeed, to be blessed, to be encouraged, to be served. David gets a pretty big no from God. This was something wound around his heart. Nathan the prophet even celebrated it. Yet he had to move beyond the pain and frustration of the no. And as he responds to God, he responds with hope and his heart aimed at the yes God has for him and the promises God made to him. When God says no to something, he doesn't say no to everything. Look for the yes that emerges in the no. I know for some of you, the no has been hard and heavy. At times, it's almost taken away your, your energy to get up and get through the day. But understand that when God says no, there still can be joy and peace as we focus on the yes that God has for us, which eventually leads to us serving and helping other people and getting beyond ourselves. Let me ask you, how are you responding when God says no in your life? Maybe you need to take one of these that the Holy Spirit says, that's you, that, that, that point is you. you. You see God as bad. You need to see what God says about why he's good. Maybe you, you need to focus on, on the courage that comes from obeying his word rather than the confusion from the no. Maybe for you it's dealing with that disgruntled spirit and focusing more on the the cultivating of a grateful heart. Whatever one of those, maybe this week, just look for extra verses. Focus your heart on that area. To guarantee you, as we live this life on earth, there are gonna be things that look like they're going great. <laughs> and God's gonna say no in some way to something else. Focus on the yes God has for you. Focus on how God wants to use you in the lives of others. Don't allow your life to be robbed of the energy and joy God wants you to have. Let God be God. Trust him even in the now. Would you pray with me? Father, my heart is heavy because I know there are people in this room who maybe feel like you gave them a no decades ago to the healing of a loved one, maybe providing a spouse, maybe paying for a massive bill, maybe providing a child. Maybe it's just been something they felt in the last few weeks where you've said no. Maybe they're still trying to sort out if it's a permanent door close or if it's a temporary no that you'll work out and shape out in the end. I pray that they would know today your love and know that they will never be out of the focus of your love. That even in the pain of rejection and the no from you, that you love them, you want the very best for them, and that you're weaving something greater than we can understand in our own lifetime. Father, I pray that they would know your presence, your spirit would whisper them today that you love them. May they 
just spend time allowing Romans 8, 35 to 39 to saturate their hearts and minds this week. Father, bring encouragement to hearts that are heavy today. Help people maybe who've got stuck inside themselves to look for just somebody to help in some way. That they can get beyond themselves, begin to follow the yes you have for them. Thank you for how you have worked in our lives to this point. May we trust you even when you say no. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.